Before I start this week's episode of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just the usual note of thanks to Sora Shimazaki of Pexels who took the photograph which adorns the cover art. Let's crack on. Welcome to episode 96 of the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm Chris Cutbride. Yet another busy week for financial crime, which is not unexpected in the week of the second anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine. So, as you might expect, there's a range of new and amended sanctions news on money laundering. There is plenty of news. The European Union has churned out a new delegated regulation and a major UK bank has announced that the Financial Conduct Authority has its AML framework under investigation. In bribery and corruption, there's been an outcome in the trial of the former Chief of Staff to the President of Madagascar. The EU is responsible for the majority of this week's fraud news, having taken a good deal of action through its various agencies across a broad range of activity. On market abuse, the SEC in the US has charged a man with insider dealing who's alleged to have traded on inside information obtained from listening in on his wife's meetings. I've also rounded up this week's cyber attack news. Lots to get through, so let's crack on. As usual, I've linked the main stories and flagged them right there in the podcast description. Sanctions news this week starts in the United Kingdom, where the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation has updated its Russia guidance, that is, guidance for the financial and investment restrictions in Russia, under the Russia Sanctions EU Exit Regulations 2019. They've added a question and answer, that's number 56, to the FAQs. The question addresses the issue of when persons are required to report to OFSI under Regulation 70, uppercase A, subsection 5, or subregulation 5, of those 2019 regulations. The answer is... The regulation requires you to report changes in your financial circumstances to OFSI as soon as practicable. You must report to OFSI when the value of your funds or economic resources, when taken together, has changed to an amount exceeding £10,000 compared with the previous report you filed with OFSI. You must also report to OFSI if there has been a change to the nature or location of the funds or economic resources where those funds or economic resources exceed the value of £10,000. This also applies where multiple funds or economic resources of the same type taken together exceed £10,000. The obligation applies regardless of whether you have existing reporting obligations under an off-sea licence. link to the complete and updated guidance is available at the link in the podcast description. In further news from OFSI, additions have been made to the consolidated list through various of the regimes operating at present. It sanctioned six individuals under the Global Human Rights Financial Sanctions Regime. The six individuals concerned are all allied to the penal colony where Alexei Navalny was uh, died last week. In relation to Russia and to mark the second anniversary of the invasion, OFSI has announced a further 50 additions to the Russia financial sanctions regime, together with some minor amendments. The additions address sectors from metals through diamonds and energy trade. Allied to this announcement were two additions to the Belarus regime. Additionally, 
Six further additions have been made to the Democratic Republic of the Congo financial sanctions regime. These additions relate to the decision by the United Nations taken on the 20th of February this week. Links to the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office press releases, all OFSI notices, the updated consolidated list, and the decision of the United Nations are all in the podcast description. Now there's just one more story from OFSI, and it's amendment an amendment to a general license, that is the license relating to payments to Companies House, if you want to reference it. It's license 3626884. Specifically, the amendment relates to permitting administrative restoration fees, which are fees respecting the restoration of a company. The link to the license and the amendment can be found in the podcast description. And finally, on sanctions news from the UK, this week the government has published its sanctions strategy as to how the government uses sanctions to address global threats promote international norms, and protect the UK. The link to that, if you wish to read it, is in the podcast description. Now, quick flit over to the European Union before we end this week's roundup with a dip into the US. So, in the European Union, the 13th sanctions package has been approved, which I predicted would happen, targeting a further 200 individuals and companies It's also been agreed to extend the operation of the sanctions regime by a further six months. They've done it slightly earlier than they would typically do it. I think it's usually done around March time. Now, to the US, and in response to the death of the Russian opposition figure Alexei Navalny, the government has announced further sanctions against Russia, which coincide with the second anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine. The sanctions are broad-ranging, and relate to around 500 individuals and entities, specifically targeting Russian military capabilities and third countries facilitating Russian access to materials. There's been a lot on that recently. As I've said, the real concern in relation to enforcement, I said a long time ago that the shift would be towards enforcement and particularly third countries, which are aiding Russia in the evasion of sanctions. Those Sanctions because of the Navalny death and also the anniversary have been trailed all week by the US. The president made comments earlier in the week about them, so we're expecting something big and they have delivered. Staying with the US, the Department of Justice has brought charges against, quote, Russian oligarch and the president and chairman of a Russian state-owned bank, Andre Kostin, with participating in two separate schemes that violated US sanctions. In one scheme, Kostin and others conspired to evade sanctions and launder funds by using a series of shell companies and straw men in order to access the US financial system to operate, maintain and improve Kostin's two super yachts, two super yachts collectively worth over $135 million. The other scheme charges Kostin and two US persons, Vadim Wolfson and Gannon Bond, for their roles in providing goods, funds and services to Kostin related to a luxury home in Aspen, Colorado, including wiring Kostin approximately 12 million US dollars after he was sanctioned. link to the press release for that is in the podcast description. That's it for this week's financial sanctions news. Now, money laundering news starts this week in Hong Kong where customs officials have arrested a number of individuals in relation to high values of money laundering worth around $1.8 billion. 
early days on this story, but some of the lines indicate that it's linked to scams originating in India. Expect a good deal more on this story in coming weeks. Now to a host of stories from the European Union. First, a delegated regulation has been published in the official journal relating to the, quote, establishment of an AML and CFT central database known as Eureka. It will contain information on material weaknesses in individual financial sector operators that make them vulnerable to money laundering or terrorist financing. Competent authorities have to report material weaknesses that they have identified, as well as the measures they've taken to address those material weaknesses. The regulation comes into force on the 7th of March 2024, and the link to it is in the podcast description. Secondly, and allied to the previous news, the Council of the European Union has published the text of the political agreement on the proposed AMLA regulation in the form of a detailed and weighty information note which contains the final compromise text reflecting the political agreement it reached with the European Parliament in December last year. Link to that is in the podcast description. And thirdly, I should start this with, and the winner is. Thirdly, the EU has announced that its new anti-money laundering authority, or AMLA, will be based in Frankfurt, Germany. It'll begin operations in middle 2025. And finally, on money laundering this week, this is the story that I trailed at the beginning, Lloyds Banking Group in the UK has revealed in its annual report that the Financial Conduct Authority is investigating the group's anti-money laundering control framework. Page 312 of the report provides, quote, The FCA has opened an investigation into the group's compliance with domestic UK money laundering regulations and the FCA's rules and principles for business, with a focus on aspects of its anti-money laundering control framework. The group has been fully cooperating with the investigation. It's not currently possible to estimate the potential financial impact, if any, to the group. A link to its annual report is in the podcast description. I should say there is nothing from the FCA on that story as yet. That's it for money laundering news. Now let's shift attention to bribery and corruption news this week. Where we start in the UK, on Monday, two former executives of Petrofac, Marwan Chadid and George Saliba, appeared at Westminster Magistrates Court charged with bribery. The Serious Fraud Office, the SFO, which brought the prosecution, alleges that between 2012 and 2018, Chadid and Saliba were involved in offering and paying agents over 30 million US dollars to influence the awarding of contracts worth approximately 3.3 billion US dollars in Petrofac's favour. The contracts related to oil facilities in the UAE, including one for the infrastructure and design of the second largest oil field in the Gulf, the Upper Zakum Field Development Project. The press release from the Serious Fraud Office is in the podcast description. Staying in the UK now, and news of the conclusion of a story you first covered in episode 72 of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, with news that the former chief of staff of the president of Madagascar, Roma Adriana Riosa, has been convicted, found guilty, of bribery. The allegations were that Adriana Riosa and her associate, Philip Tabuto, made requests for bribes relating to the issuance of licenses for mining operations in Madagascar. The company of whom the request was made, Gemfields Limited, 
reported the request to the National Crime Agency, which launched a covert surveillance investigation. Adriano Riosa will be sentenced on the 18th of March 2024. The link to the National Crime Agency press release is in the podcast description. In Slovakia, the president, Zuzana Kaputova, has said that she will raise a challenge in the Constitutional Court through the decision of the Parliament to abolish the Office of the Special Prosecutor. The Office is responsible for the pursuit of crimes ranging from corruption, organised crime and extremism. The concern stems from the fact that the changes, which are part of a broader package, including reform to sentences, might undermine the rule of law. The decision of the Slovakian Parliament has been the subject of criticism from inside and outside the country. In Paris, well, France, the authorities have launched investigations into alleged corruption in relation to the Summer Olympics, which take place in Paris in July and August this year. Four inquiries into alleged corruption are ongoing. To Asia now, where the Chinese authorities have continued their recent purge of bribery and corruption with the announcement that the former chairman of the Bank of China, Yu Liang, has been indicted on charges alleging bribery and corruption by the exploitation of his position at the state-owned Bank of China and from when he was president of the Export-Import Bank of China. It's alleged that in return for property and cash, Liang provided assistance in obtaining loans as well as facilitating appointments of others to various positions. As indicated, the news follows a host of stories from China where individuals from across the economy and society in the country have been the subject of a bribery investigation. And this latest news is a reminder of how, no matter how high you are, the investigation may well reach your door. Now, there is a mass of fraud news this week. So we'll start with the European Union, which has, as I indicated at the beginning, a range of stories. First, at the request of the European Public Prosecutor's Office, the EPPO, in Vilnius, that's Lithuania, coordinated searches were undertaken across a range of locations as part of an investigation into the misappropriation of funds from the Bolt Cap Infrastructure Fund. The fund aims to enhance the resilience of the Baltic states and Poland, focusing on renewable energy generation, energy demand reduction, and social as well as transport infrastructure investments in the region. As the press release from the EPPO provides, Sarunas Stepokonis, a former partner of the Boltcap Infrastructure Fund and former member of its investment committee, is suspected of embezzling at least 27 million euros from the fund. Based on the evidence, the majority of the money embezzled may have been used for gambling at casinos in Lithuania and Estonia. A link to the press release is in the podcast description. Secondly, the European Anti-Fraud Office, or OLAF, held a three-day training event in Brussels for Ukraine's anti-fraud and anti-corruption authorities. While the training is part of a wider effort to support Ukraine and its desire to combat these particular forms of financial crime, as it, I think it looks to accede to the European Union, it's also designed to protect the 50 billion euros in aid which the bloc is due to disperse to Ukraine. Link to the OLAF press release is in the podcast description. Thirdly, 
couple more stories here from the European Union, the first of which was led by the EPPO and supported by Europol concerning, quotes, an investigation into an alleged criminal organisation suspected of a multi-million euro VAT fraud involving car sales. It's understood that the scheme led to over 70 million euros in lost VAT in Germany alone. So that just gives you an indication of the scale of the issue that they're looking at. Secondly, Europol has coordinated action against a number of EU member states concerning money laundering involving a financial institution. The action was a large-scale operation against a Russian-Eurasian criminal network and a Maltese-based financial institution allegedly involved in money laundering services. Four suspects were detained with potential suspects and witnesses also interviewed in Estonia, Germany, Latvia and Malta. Link to all those press releases are in the podcast description. In the United Kingdom, the Financial Conduct Authority has announced a guilty plea in the case of Guy Flintham, who, quotes, defrauded around 240 investors by making false representations to persuade them to invest approximately £19 million in an investment scheme operated by him. Flintham made a number of fraudulent claims to investors, including about how the scheme was operated and the profits they could and were making via the scheme. He falsified documents in order to support some of his claims. He'll be sentenced for that offence on the 26th of April 2024. Flintham did, however, plead not guilty to the charge of carrying on regulated activity without authorisation or exemption. Contrary to the Financial Services and Markets Act 2000, no further comment is provided on that. Link to the press release from the Financial Conduct Authority is in the podcast description. Now, ah, to the US, where there's been an awful lot of activity and it surrounds COVID-19, I suppose, and the evolution of COVID-19 as the basis for fraudulent activity. Quite interesting, really, how this happens. But anyway, to the US, specifically Alaska, we'll start off there, where the US attorney for the District of Alaska, S. Lane Tucker, has announced that her office will continue to prioritise the prosecution of white-collar crime in the state, with a significant part of the effort being a robust response to COVID-19 through the Interagency COVID-19 Fraud Task Force. As the press release provides, the task force identifies, investigates and prosecutes those aid programs intended to help individuals and small businesses negatively impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. These include programs such as the Paycheck Protection Program, PPP, the Economic Injury Disaster Loans, EIDL, the Restaurant Revitalization Funds, the RRF, the Shuttered Venue Operation Grants, the SVOG, State and Local Fiscal Recovery Funds, SLFRF, Coronavirus Farm Assistance Program, CFAP, Emergency Rental Assistance Program, ERAP, and Unemployment Insurance, UI. To fraudulently obtain these funds, criminals have created fake businesses, committed identity theft, falsely reported their criminal history and inflated the size and scope of actual businesses, most often subsequently misusing federal funding for personal gain. And in a case of perfect timing, beautiful timing, a woman from Anchorage, Alexa, Alaska, has been charged with fraud and money laundering in relation to COVID-19 relief funds. 
press release from the US Attorney General and the Department of Justice press release relating to that charging decision are in the podcast description. Finally, from the US, and still related to COVID-19 fraud, only this time a mutation of it. The US Attorney, Gerard Karam, has issued a warning of a scam which targets individuals who have, quotes, received forged court documentation stating that they're being investigated for payroll protection program or PPP fraud and are the subject of an arrest warrant. The documents often claim to have been uh, the documents often claim to have been sent on behalf of the Department of Justice's Civil Division's Commercial Litigation Branch. Additional documents sent by scammers advise the recipient that to lift the arrest warrant, the recipient must make a payment through a cryptocurrency kiosk such as Flipcoin or Coinflip, <laughs> a Bitcoin kiosk. The documents contain detailed instructions on how to use a cryptocurrency kiosk to send payment. I have to say, fraud is nothing. It's always ingenious. Fraudsters are ingenious in mutating, ironically, just like a virus mutates itself, to serve the needs of the criminals. Link to the press release for that one, which is interesting, is in the podcast description. Now, a bit of market abuse news. This week, JP Morgan has said that it's agreed to pay civil penalties of $350 million to two regulators while negotiations continue with a third over its failure to report complete trading data to surveillance platforms. It's not known which agencies are involved, and a trawl of the press releases of the usual suspects reveals nothing at all. We'll see what comes of this across the week. Further, the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, has charged an individual from Texas with insider trading, quotes, ahead of a February 2023 announcement that London-based oil and gas company BP PLC agreed to acquire Travel Centers of America Incorporated, a full-service truck stop and travel center company headquartered in Ohio. The individual concerned allegedly made $1.76 million in illegal profits from his trading. According to the SEC's complaint, Loundon, the individual concerned, allegedly misappropriated material, non-public information about the proposed acquisition from his wife, a BP mergers and acquisitions manager who worked on the planned deal. The SEC alleges that the individual overheard several of his wife's work-related conversations about the merger while she was working remotely. Without his wife's knowledge, he purchased 46,450 shares of Travel Center's stock before the merger was announced on February 16, 2023. As a result of the announcement, Travel Center's stock rose nearly 71%. He allegedly immediately sold all of his Travel Center shares for a profit of $1.76 million. <sighs> the link to the press release to that one is in the podcast description, and you may be unsurprised to learn that that was accompanied in the mainstream press with comment about how working from home is a terrible thing. Frankly, insider trading doesn't just happen in that context. It can happen from information gleaned from the work environment. Anyway, now that's it for market abuse. To general news before we round up this week's cyber attack news. Not a huge amount of other news this week, but there is some useful content first. Uh, in the UK, parts of the Economic Crime and Corporate Transparency Act 2023 are being brought into force over coming weeks and months. 
lots of updates over the last week, in fact, an awful lot. And rather than list all of them, I thought it'd be better to direct you to a short article from law firm Lewis Silkin, which highlights the imminent changes. One change not in that article is the enhanced powers to the Registrar of Companies to impose financial penalties, which have been published in draft regulation form this week. The link to that draft regulation, which isn't due to come into force until the 2nd of May 2024, and the article from Lewis Silkin can be found in the podcast description. Now, we end this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast with a roundup of cyber attack news. The big cyber attack news this week is the coordinated action taken by a number of agencies, including the FBI, Europol, and the National Crime Agency in the UK against the Lockbit Cybercrime Group. A typical Lockbit malware attack would result in stolen data, system encryption, with subsequent ransomware demanded to be paid in cryptocurrency to ensure the files were decrypted and to prevent publication of the data on the dark web. Dark web. This coordinated action has taken control of their servers and, in the US, charges have been brought against two Russian nationals. Link to the National Crime Agency, the Europol and the FBI press releases can be found in the podcast description. There is also news of more information allied to the administration of justice. We've reported for a couple of weeks running about attacks on the Pennsylvania court system and the fact that its system was taken offline for around a week. Well, this week it brings news that the online systems of the Office of the Colorado State Public Defender has been the victim of a cyber attack. Systems were taken offline in an effort to contain the malware which was detected on the system. The attack has been reported to the FBI and is under investigation. Staying in the US, the Department of Health and Human Services Office of Civil Rights has settled an action under the quote, Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996, the HIPAA, with Green Ridge Behavioral Health LLC, which is a Maryland-based practice providing psychiatric evaluations, medical well, medication management, and psychotherapy. OCR, that's the Office for Civil Rights, enforces the HIPAA privacy, security, and breach notification rules, which sets forth the requirements that the Act covered entities and their business associates must follow. The entities covered by the Act are mostly healthcare providers, health plans, and healthcare clearinghouses. The settlement resolves an investigation following a ransomware attack that affected the protected health information of more than 14,000 individuals. According to the press release, Green Ridge Behavioral Health failed to have in place an accurate and thorough analysis to determine the potential risks and vulnerabilities to electronic protected health information, implement security measures to reduce risks and vulnerabilities to a reasonable and appropriate level, and have sufficient monitoring of its health information systems activity to protect against a cyber attack. Under the terms of the settlement, Greenridge Behavioral Health agreed to pay US dollars and implement a corrective action plan that will be monitored by the OCR for three years. OCR, of course, is the Office for Civil Rights. Link to the HHS press release is in the podcast description.
Further attacks on universities have been announced this week with news that the universities of Cambridge, Manchester and Wolverhampton in the UK have been the subject of a distributed denial of service attack, a DDoS attack. Reason for the attack stated by the group which claimed responsibility, which is Anonymous Sudan, was the United, Con uh, the United Kingdom's unconditional support for Israel and its complicity in the ongoing genocide in Gaza, as well as bombing cam campaigns on Yemen. The University of Manchester, you'll remember, suffered a significant cyber attack in mid-2023, which also resulted in a loss of data. And finally, on cyber attack news this week, and in fact, for this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast, the National Cyber Security Centre in the UK has published a blog post and technical guidance relating to the protection of private branch exchange, or PBX, telephone networks from cyber attacks. The blog post is for a general audience, which is why I read it, and the technical guidance is for those with knowledge and experience of PBX networks, which is why I looked at it very briefly. I've linked the blog post and I've linked the more detailed technical guidance in the podcast description. Well, that is it for episode 96 of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. If you want to do so, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll hear from me again next week, all being very well with the usual roundup of all things financial crime. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs>